Hi, family. My name is Pearl, and I'm an alcoholic. My sober date is July 9th, 1980. My home group is the Road to Happy Destiny group that meets at the Acceptance Place in Irvington, Kentucky, on noon every day. And for those gifts, I, I, I thank God and I thank each of you. I want to thank the committee for inviting me to be here, and I thank Carol for our wonderful hospitality and the love and friendship that we've already established. It's funny how God works things out. And I thank all of those uh, that I know and those that, that I don't know, uh, but we know that great God. Uh, we got to have power uh, that brought us here together, and I'm so glad for that today and tonight, and I'm just honored and privileged to be among such greatness. This is the greatest fellowship in the whole wide world, and I'm grateful that I'm a part of it. And uh, my sponsor would always tell me to, uh, as the book book says, to tell uh, in a general, general way about what happened, what it was like, and what it's like today. And I want to try to do that. Uh, but first of all, I want to start with prayer. It's a combination of some uh, big book prayers, and it's just usually what I say before so I can get out of the way. I feel my feel a little bit nervous, and I, I want to get out of the way and let God do what God's going to do here. So would you pray with me? God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of myself that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them would bear witness to those I would help of your love and your power and your way of life. May I do your will always, not my will, but your will be done. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Please remove every single defect of character in me that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to others. Give me the strength to do your will, not my will, but your will be done. God, take away my fear and focus my attention on being just who you have created me to be. No more, no less. Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen. Amen. Some years ago, a little over 25 years ago, I read this little book called The Wall. And my higher power that I call God gave me a way to share my experience, strength, and hope. And that's what I want to do because it really helps me to remember. When I tell you I'm an alcoholic, I, I got a thinking disease. Uh, I'm a very intelligent woman. I got all kind of things that I tell you that. But I tell you, there's, some, there's a peculiar twist in the way I think. And I can remember before I ever started drinking alcohol or anything, I, I used to tell my family, I just don't think like I do. One and one ain't always two with me. You know, it just ain't always that simple. And one of the things that when I read this book, it was like I felt so different in the way I thought and the way I processed information that I, I opened up this little book, and, and it was like I was reading my innermost thoughts, like I was opening up my head, and I was reading stuff that I thought nobody ever thought but me. And I knew when I did that, I, I, I just prayed, and I said, I want to do this. I want to I use this as a way of uh, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And I'm so grateful that the committee allows me to do that today. 
because everybody doesn't, and that's okay. It's about group conscious, and I, I wouldn't have been mad if they didn't. I could have said some things, but I think I can demonstrate it in a lot more ways than I can ever say it. And, I, and my hope is that in, in some of this, that somebody will be strengthened, and if there's anybody here that's just thinking about Maybe I can do what they do. I just hope that this may speak to you because it always blesses me in a special way. Um, I'm going to turn these just a little bit. Is that okay? I'm a social worker, and social workers think they can change things. So <laughs> I'm going to use this heart as a symbol of that part of all human beings that just wants to feel loved and safe and secure in their world. All human beings, I don't care what we do, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, all any human being ultimately wants is to feel safe, loved, and secure in the world. And like every other human being, I was born that way, but things start happening, or maybe some things that did not happen, and I didn't start feeling that all the time. And as a way of dealing with those, those that different feeling, I started building this imaginary wall. I'm the ninth of 11 children born in Louisville, Kentucky. My dad was one of 21. There's a whole lot of folk in Louisville that look like me. There's a whole lot of alcoholism and people that think like me in Louisville, Kentucky and across this country. And I'm so grateful that most of my life I, I thought I would have told you that I had the worst family in the world. Today I tell you I got the best. I just didn't know. See, I'm one of those people who have always been selfish and self-centered, I think, from birth. I'm, I'm not even, I might have been even from conception because when things started not going my way, I just didn't know what to do. I call my family the looking good family because by the standards in which I was raised in the community I was raised, our family looked good. Both my parents uh, were in the home. Uh, my parents had been married over 58 years when my dad died in 1985. And, and uh, uh, I just thought that there were things going on in my looking good family. I was raised in a church, in a, a family of faith. Uh, there was a lot of inconsistencies in my family, and, and things happened that shouldn't have been happening in my family, and I didn't know what to do with them because nobody really told me this, but I caught some information. You know, sometimes you get taught, and other things you just catch, or you get you catch some things. Well, I caught some stuff early on, and it told me to not to trust and not to feel, and don't tell anybody outside the family what was going on, because we had to preserve the myth that we look good in our family. My family and I went to church together, and we did a lot of things, and things just didn't look the way they told me it should have looked. In church, so I started building this wall. One of the bricks in my wall was a brick of fear. Not sure when I first started being fearful, just knew that I was. I, I just had a lot of fear. I wasn't feeling safe, and I wasn't feeling loved, and I wasn't so feeling secure. Another brick in my wall is one of mistrust. I'm trying to stay with this thing. Okay. I told you. Trying to be obedient. I didn't trust people because people who loved me violated my body. They raped me and then told me not to talk about it or to tell anybody about it. 
They raped me and robbed me of my innocence when I was a kid. People who loved me hurt me, and when I said I didn't like it, they hurt me again. And I learned real quick not to let anybody, that I couldn't trust anybody. And I was sad. And I was sad for the same reasons that I didn't trust, because all I wanted to do was to feel loved, and no matter what I tried to do, I couldn't feel the love, so, and I couldn't talk about it, so I kept building the wall. Because back here, I could be just what I wanted to be. Another brick in my wall is a brick of scared. And for me, being scared is different from being fearful. Fear paralyzes me. I don't move up, I don't move back. I'm just stuck in fear. Scared is always being nervous and agitated. If I, if I say this, they won't like me. If I don't wear this, they won't like me. If I got on the wrong color, I'm, I'm too fat, I'm too dark, I'm too black, I'm too skinny, I'm too whatever it is I am, it was never enough. And I knew all of this, and I felt this way way before I ever discovered alcohol. We would go to church on Sunday and Sometime during the week, uh, there would be drinking of alcohol that was really against our faith tradition. They told us on Sunday, don't drink alcohol, but it was at my house. And sometimes when people drank alcohol and they got drunk, there would be, uh, uh, people would get beat up. And the police would come sometime. They told me to be honest and to do the right thing, and I learned that on Sunday morning. But sometime in my home, there were laws being broken. And people got carried to jail. And we, they were told me, and I caught the thought, you don't talk about that stuff. You don't tell it outside this family because what happens in the family stays in the family. Had all this stuff going on, but I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. So I just kept building the wall because back here, nobody could hurt me. And back here, I was safe. And nobody could touch me. Another brick in my wall, I had a lot of secrets in my family. I used to tell people all my life I was very private. I'm a private person, which was a buzzword. I had a lot of stuff I just didn't talk about. Not only didn't I talk about it, I didn't even want to think about it. I just wanted to act like it was happening. I don't care where I was or what was going on, it was never good enough. My mom and dad got up early in the morning. My dad worked 16 hours a day to take care of us, and my mom stayed at home to take care of us. And she would get up and... Uh, have, um, have fix a big country breakfast every morning for us, homemade biscuits every day, pork chops and fried potatoes and apples and all, anything you can make. And I hated it. You know why? Because I always compared myself with everybody else. I didn't think that what I had was good enough. And I would be mad because I didn't have cereal like my friends did at school. I was mad because I had to take homemade biscuits to, to school, and I thought everybody was making fun of me. They wanted my biscuits, and I wanted their peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I just could whatever it was, it just wasn't enough. And I still have not put alcohol into my body, even though I was around it and I seen it. I just didn't like who I was, and I was scared that if anybody got close enough to me, they would find out things I didn't want anybody to know, so I kept building up the wrong. There was a lot of physical and sexual violence in my home. At some time in my life, I decided I must be totally unacceptable. There was something wrong with me. I felt like I was the only caterpillar in a world of butterflies. 
I don't know how hard I tried. I just couldn't make it. And I couldn't fit in with people, so I wanted to keep everybody back there and me, out there and, you, and me back here. I made good grades. I, I did all the right things that looked good, but down on the inside, I was tore up from the floor. I dressed it up and made it look pretty, and I did all the right things, but I surely didn't feel it way down on the inside. Uh, I, but I did know how to make it look like it was good, even if it wasn't felt good. And I had a lot of anger. And I was angry at, angry at all of y'all because y'all had everything that I wanted that I never could get. No matter how God I tried, I could never fit in with you, and I would never be able to be and to do and to get the things that you all had. And I hated it because of that. There was more criticism than encouragement in my looking good family. I don't know about you, but sometimes even today, I can have four people tell me something positive and one person to say, you know, it was okay. And you know what? I tend to gravitate. I'm not the only one. I see nine head. <laughs> that, that's what I remember is the one. It's the one. I forget about the four or the ten because I, I, I take it all back to me and I feel like I, I just can't be there. And one of the things that I learned early in life uh, I can remember seeing my parents coming home and having the parties and gambling and the card games that was going on, and they would have this alcohol, and, and, I, and I couldn't wait because I couldn't wait till I got drunk because I wanted to do what they were doing because it looked like they was having so much fun. But being the person I was, I didn't really want to wait. I wanted to make it happen now, so we learned how to Go to, the, uh, go to the refrigerator and get beer or go to the tub. We had those old metal tubs when I was a kid. Ice down beer. Somebody here knows that, don't About that ice down beer in the metal tub. And uh, we'd go and get the, and so we would get a, we would get a beer for, for the grown-ups and we'd keep one that we would split. And I liked the way that that made me feel. For the first time in my life, I was happy, I was loved, I was safe, and I was secure. Did I want some more of that? You bet I did. And, that, and it made me matter. For the first time, I started mattering, just taking those fruit sips and, and, and what little bit I got. And because I also wanted to do what the grown people were doing, we would pick up cigarette butts in the, in the gutter because I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be like everybody else. I just wanted to be enough. I, I just wanted to be better than I was or that I thought I was. And I still ain't really took the first drink yet. For me, what this does, this thinking disease is the thing that keeps me in meetings and keeps me with a sponsor and a support group to this day because there's a peculiar mental twist in the way I process information. Don't mean that I'm not smart. It's just something strange happened. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, too, even before the alcohol, maybe about the same time. I was talking about this the other day to some people. I had um, my sister, one of my sisters was working, and, and I found out that uh, if the, all my kids and all the people in the neighborhood, they would like it when I had, when I had money. Uh, whoever had money and had toys and candy and books and stuff 
Well, then they were like that person. So I thought I wanted some of that. I wanted some of that mattering. I wanted somebody to care for me. I wanted people to come to me and to want something that I had. And so I learned how to steal money out of my sister's purse, selfish, self-centered to the core. I thought it was okay to steal her money because when I had her money and I could go to the store and buy the candy, everybody in the neighborhood liked Pearl. They was wanting to get me. I was the one. I, I was not just a kid. I was the kid on the block. I mattered. And did I like that feeling? Yeah, I liked that feeling. I, I liked the fact that people were coming to me, and I wanted to do anything to make that happen. I had a lot of guilt. Anybody who ever has been violated anyway as a child has a lot of guilt. But for me, guilt's not the real trouble. The, the real trouble is guilt's first cousin I call shame. See, guilt would let you know that you did a bad thing. Guilt would say you stole that money that was wrong. That's, I need to be aware of that. I need to be aware. But shame says, no, you're not, you not only did a bad thing, you are bad. Down deep inside of you, you're rotten. You're different. There's something that makes you hopelessly and uniquely flawed. Something is wrong with you on the inside. You're not like everybody else. Shame is the message that I tell myself about the things that happened to me. Guilt says I made a mistake and says shame. Shame says, no, you are a mistake. And I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like feeling like a mistake. I, I didn't like feeling like I couldn't be good enough. I didn't like it, but I sure liked it when I got a lot of attention. I got some bricks in my wall I don't have a one-word label for. They some of those things that people would tell you don't matter unless it happens to you. Maybe it's not being invited to the party and everybody else is going. Or maybe it's being at the party and everybody's dancing but you. Or maybe, maybe it's the teacher that never seems to call on you when you get the answer, but as soon as you don't know, they call on you and everybody's laughing. You know, it don't matter to everybody else, but to you, when it happens to you, it does make you feel like you don't fit in and you just don't matter. And I felt pretty worthless. I felt totally unloved. I felt totally resentful. And sometimes I just felt numb. Couldn't feel nothing. Couldn't describe what was going on. But I knew I was having a lot of pain. And I was in a lot of denial. And denial for me stands for don't even notice. I am lying. Because if you call my attention to any inconsistency, there was usually one response. I'm done with you. You are not my friend. And you can take your job and shove it. I did not like to be called on my stuff. And I thought I had come to what I needed to do to be pretty perfect. And material things for me became more important than anything else. And then I discovered alcohol. I started getting drunk, my way of thinking and living in the world and wondering why I could not connect. 
I was violated as a child, and it told you for many years I would have told you that was the reason that I was an alcoholic, but it ain't. I was hurt when I asked for help, and I made a vow to myself that I would never, ever, ever let anybody know that I was hurting or that I needed anything. It was a way of thinking that was there before the alcohol ever went in. This is the wall. It came upon me when I was young and innocent and unexposed. And it twisted me in ways that I didn't even know I was twisted in. And it held me captive to a way of thinking that led me down a path that made alcohol and my own personal self-image seem more important than anything else. I wanted to be a good mother, but I just didn't know how. I wanted to be a good worker, but I just didn't know how. I wanted to be a faithful partner, but I just didn't know how. I had a bit, when I was young, my, my body was violated and robbed by other people. And much of my life, my lowest part of my bottom, I'm going to talk about that. A lot of people don't like the sec my sexual conduct. My sexual conduct was, was the bottom. I thought I was an alcoholic for a long time because I didn't get locked up, and then somebody told me it's not a requirement. <laughs> but I had a sexual bottom that was as low as they can go. Uh, I kept going to bed with uh, Billy D. Williams. I know y'all don't believe I was out with him, but I kept going to bed with Billy D. Williams. Y'all may not believe that, but I bet you believe that I kept waking up with Daffy Duck. <laughs> because what I had done, what I had learned to do was to use my body like it was an object. And I also learned to use the objects of men like they were, the bodies of men like they were ob objects. I had a way of thinking. I didn't know anything else to do with men but to be sexual. I didn't know anything else to do with men because I thought I had no value beyond that. And for many years, I used alcohol so that I could go out and do all the sexual inappropriate things because I just didn't feel like I was worthy enough to expect love or respect from another person. And I just didn't know what I did. I just didn't know. And so I kept doing what I kept doing because I didn't know nothing else to do. And if there was any, any, any of any, a real turning point in my life after I've lost all the jobs, after I have driven anybody away that wanted to get close to me. After I had, I had neglected my children. I didn't want to be a neglectful mother, but I, I was. Because I didn't know how to be a good mother. I wanted to be a better mother than I was. I'm grateful for my, that my, somehow my, my sons are great sons and doing great things in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm grateful because of this program that gave me another chance to go back and reparent and re-nurture my children and to make some amends at some people. I wanted to be a better person, but I just didn't know. I just didn't know what was wrong with me. But I just knew that I, I, I ran into a woman. There used to be a woman, a friend that I had, and I, uh, that uh, she changed. Me and her used to get together a lot, and we used to go out on the, we used to go out on the prowl because that's all we were doing. We just used alcohol to go out on the prowl. I'm not proud of that, but I'm just no longer ashamed of it. 
because I had to learn some stuff. I, d- I didn't know how to do basic stuff. I didn't know how to say, uh, I didn't know how to speak up for myself. When you violate it, let me go back and tell you, what happens is that your thoughts don't matter. Your words don't matter. Your, your nonverbal communication skills don't matter because it keeps happening anyway. So you learn to turn off your voice. You learn to turn off your feelings. You learn to turn off your all acts of expression and communication because you just don't know or you don't think it matters anyway. And for many years, when, when the numbing part of it, I just wanted to have a way of getting through life. And what it did, it took alcohol to do it. And I had a good friend. We used to hang out and do a lot of things together. And I hadn't ran into him for a while. And I ran into uh, one day, and, and uh, she had... Uh, she had changed. It was something different about her. She wasn't negative anymore. She wasn't trying to gossip anymore. Uh, she wasn't drinking no more. In fact, she didn't even look like the same person that I'd met months before. Her whole conversation was different, and I, and I didn't know what it was about her, but what I did know was that I wanted what she had. I wanted to be like her. I wanted to be friends with her, and I wanted to find out what she did because I was going to do it too. So sometime in the year of 1980, I went to her and I said, I don't know, something about you is different. Uh, this is a program they tell me of attraction, and I was attracted to that. And I asked her, and I told her, and she said, well, I started going to these little meetings. And, uh, and, I, and, uh, and so uh, I told her I wanted to go to the little meetings with her. And so she told me, yeah, we can go to the little meetings. She said, but before you go, I want you to make a commitment that you'll go to six before you decide that it worked for you. And if you go to six and you find out that that don't work, they got these meetings all over town and then find another one and go to that six times before you did it. And if I didn't do it, I went in for all the wrong reasons because I thought she was going to teach me to figure out how to manage the alcoholic people in my life. See, I didn't have a problem with alcohol when I got here in 1980. I don't know about y'all. Y'all probably were drunks when y'all got here, but I wasn't. Uh-uh. I came here to fix all the other people in my life that was drunks. I just wanted to know how to fix them. And, and I always had grand schemes and plans and ideas. I had, I, there was an anger on everything. I could fix it and, make it and make it all right. And that's what I did. I knew if I stopped drinking long enough that I could get all the drunks in my family worked out. And then when they got straight, I was going to go all the way out and, and do what I'd been doing because there wasn't nothing wrong with what I was doing. I was locked up. I, I didn't even know where Skid Row is. So, you know, that's where the drunks were. I, I didn't even know where it was located. So I couldn't be part of that. And if I did anything right, I followed the spiritual connectedness that this friend of mine had, that's something that I'd never experienced in my life, and I've been in and out of church much of my life. And I did what she suggested, and I started going to these meetings. And I knew I wasn't going to go to no meeting but the meeting she uh, went to because I wanted what she had. And I got a sponsor. That's what they told me, some silly stuff. Get a sponsor. Weird stuff. Uh, call some people on the phone. I had a 10,000-pound telephone. <laughs> they wanted me to call people. Strange stuff. Uh, they want me that you know, just don't drink for the day. Strange stuff. St- stop lying. Lying? I'm not a liar. I hated liars. Did you like, y'all were liars when you got your probably, but I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't know until they started making me work those steps. And then that's when some things, well, maybe that did stretch the truth a little bit. 
<laughs> but I, I couldn't see. See, I've got a disease of perceptions. I, I, I always see things differently, hear things differently, and feel things differently sometimes than people intend. But I'm so convinced that I'm always right that whatever I see, hear, and think, and feel has got to be right because I couldn't possibly be wrong because I'm from the looking good family. And that was what I had learned much of my life, and that's what I believed, and that's the way that I wanted to present myself. And I, and I, and, but I did what uh, my friend told me to do, and I, I got that sponsor, and I started doing some things, and things started changing around for me. And it took me three years to figure it up. I, I came into another 12-step program and, with my friend, and uh, I don't think she's an alcoholic like me, but, we, she, but three years later I realized that I needed to be an Alcoholics Anonymous, and I hadn't drank, so I didn't have to change a day. And I can tell you right now that I did not like a, a lot of the things that they asked me to do, but I did it because my friend said that's what she did, and I wanted what she had, and I was determined that I would get it. I want to read a part out of the big book, and then I think I'm about ready to take my seat. This is always, always different. When I read this book, the big book out of this, on page 25, and I, I realize it's for all of us, but I take it personally, and so many times when I read from it, I try to personalize it like I'm saying it to myself. Because of all the people in the world that I need to convince and that I need to capture, it's my voice in me telling me the things that I need to hear. Because it's my voice in me that has told me all the drama that kept me sick for so many years. And so I need to hear things in first person. So this is the way I read page 25 in our, in our basic text. I wanted to stop, but I could not. There is a solution. I did not like the self-searching. I did not like the leveling of my pride. I did not like the confession of shortcomings which the process requires for a successful consummation. But I saw that it really worked in others. And I had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as I had been living it. When therefore I was approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for me to, but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at my feet. I have found much of heaven, and I have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which I had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that I have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized my whole attitude toward life, toward others, and toward God's universe. The central fact of my life today is the absolute certainty that my creator has entered into my heart and life in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for me which I could never do by myself. If you are as seriously alcoholic as I am, 
I believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. I was in a position where life was becoming impossible, and I had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid. I had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation as best I could, and the other to accept spiritual help. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. Humpty Dumpty was a fragile, raw egg. Humpty Dumpty had put himself in a position, a place in a position, and he had fallen, and there was no way to unscramble the mess that he had made of his life. The white was running into the yellow, and the yellow was running into the white. The outside shell was cracked and badly bent. All the king's horses, all the power of the earth, all the king's men, all the sex I could get, all the horses and all the sex and all the food and all the money and all the lies and all the hopelessness could not put hump together back together again. It took something bigger than the king and all the king's horses. But even the writer of the nursery rhyme proclaimed that uh, did not proclaim while the king's horses and the king's men and all of the things that the king's head couldn't make it happen. The nursery rhyme never admitted that the king could not. And my higher power is a king. In fact, he's the king of all kings. And that king has put this body back together again. My, the king that I serve specializes in people who are crippled by falls. He has a way of putting it all back together because the king has desired this body to be whole, to be loved, to be safe and secure. And the fact of my life today is that one day at a time, one moment at a time, through the process of recovery, through the process of speaking, through the process of coming to these meetings, through the process of getting honest, the process to stop the lying, God has done for me what I could never do for myself. And this little girl that used to live in a space that small, I only talked to people. I only went around certain people. If you didn't do what I did, I didn't have time for you because I just didn't know. Has gone from sea to sea. I was scared. I was so full of self-centered fear that even before I could leave to go out to get drunk, I had to have a buzz on before I could walk out my door. And today this little girl has been from sea to shining sea and cross the water and mix with anybody and is not ashamed of the power of God's work in my life. And I continue to embellish myself and to witness myself and be a part of something greater and bigger than I could ever be. And I thank you for being here so that I could treat my disease tonight because I'm tired of falling and I'm refusing to lie. I'm tired 
and sick and tired of living their life, but I glory in the life that I have today because of the program of recovery of Alcoholics Anonymous, you people, good sponsorship, and doing something different. The fact of my life today is that I trust in the power of my higher power that I call Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to sell them to you. I'm just telling you what my experience is, what my strength is. I had a religion, but I didn't have a relationship. I had a religion, but I didn't have a spiritual connection. And that connection continues to embellish my life and give me witness so I don't have to live behind walls and I don't have to live like a dog and I don't have to do things to anybody just to get what I want. I don't steal no more. I try not to lie, and I've got people who hold me accountable. It's a whole new way of being, and I'm so grateful. I've done some things sober that I never would have done because I just would have been too full of too much fear. That's my wow. This is my story. That's my experience. That's my strength, and may you find some of the hope. My name is Pearl Gray. And I'm an alcoholic.